Seat. Good morning, Park Street. Um, you see, um, my name is David Rowe. I've actually been here before. Uh, I have preached here before about six years ago, but probably don't remember. But I do have a connection with Park Street. Uh, I do want to share with you. Uh, the, during my seminary days at Gordon-Conwell, uh, Paul Reverend Paul Toms was actually my mentor. He was the chaplain at the time. He had, he had left Park Street, and I met with him every week, really just was uh, influenced by him in the earlier days of my um, training. But also this, now you see my parents are missionaries. Uh, they joined OMF, a mission agency started by Hudson Taylor over 150 years ago. It used to be called China Inland Mission. My father is a Korean from Korea, but he came to America, studied at Wheaton College, um, uh, Presbyterian. But my mom actually is a Chinese American from Honolulu, Hawaii. And I, uh, she has five generations of Christian, I'm sorry, five generations from Hawaii. And I asked, my, I remember asking, I said, Dad, I know Dad's a Presbyterian, but Mom, what are you? She says, I'm a Congregationalist. And, you know, all my years on the mission field, I haven't met another Congregationalist on the mission field. I mean, yeah, I've met Presbyterians, and I, I bet you if you scratch beneath the surface, it's related to Park Street Church 200 years ago. Yeah. So thank you, Park Street Church, for, uh, for sending missionaries to the Sandwich Islands. Yeah. Well, um, this does tie into what I'd like to share this morning about um, parents and missionaries. Um, in acts of faith. And so if we can turn into our scriptures, uh, into our Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to look starting from verses 23 onward to the end of the chapter, verses 40. But I'm going to first read the last verse of the chapter to just give us a context here. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There's something about these acts and heroic acts of faith and the actors involved are part of this greater grand story united together in a community of faith. And so you're looking at uh, starting from the beginnings of time, from Abel to, to, to Noah to Abraham, all the way down now to Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and verse 23, we come down to Moses. And it's intended, I see that, that God has used this uh, story, historic, um, redemptive storyline, people throughout history who have demonstrated acts of faith. And now we come to Moses, and it's interesting. Uh, we have to ask the question, why does it start with Moses' parents? I mean, you think about Moses, you have to ask, you know, if I were, if I were writing, you know, I would say, you know, Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, you know, the Ten Plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, that's when I would probably write about Moses, but it starts with Moses' parents. And, you know, every missionary in this room uh, and every missionary gets sent out had parents. And many of um, the missionaries that get sent out had parents who loved the Lord and demonstrated faith that influenced us early on, just like my parents uh, went out on the mission field. Now, you know, OMF, you know, as a missionary kid, I went to a missionary kid's school, so I got to 
you know, all my friends were missionary kids from all different mission agencies, and we had a ranking. You know, the rich missionary kids to the poorest missionary, all depending on, you know, the Southern Baptists, Conservative Baptists, Assemblies of God, you know, teams, and uh, uh, OMS, and then the bottom rung was OMF. I remember my parents, uh, this is just one Christmas, uh, they got a check from uh, a Chinese church in, in Chinatown from Chicago saying, oh, we got an extra uh, Christmas gift, $100. And my, my mom, you know, we're already at the bottom rung, right? You know, just, we, we, as kids, we would just play with uh, rocks and tin cans and rubber bands, right? You know, so that was like, you know, I always knew that we were the poorest of the poorest, but my parents had said, you know what? I bet you other people need this more. Let's just send this back. I'm just like, what, Bob? <laughs> My parents had a great impact on me on the earlier days. Now, of course, you know, coming back on furlough as a missionary kid, you get to see things very differently. You know, I came back and... and um, you know, stayed at my cousin's home in San Marino, California. Uncle and aunt love the Lord, get up every morning at 6 o'clock to pray, Koreans, they pray. But guess what? They're not only Christians and love the Lord and they pray, they had a swimming pool in the backyard <laughs> and a Mercedes Benz in the garage. And I got real smart real quick at an early on age. I was thinking, you know, uh, rocks, paper, and uh, you know the rubber bands are great, but um, for me, I wanted to. I'm going to major in something that was going to be making money in the future. So I majored in computers. But um, somehow the Lord grasped my heart, and I'm, I'm just. I want to share this: the, the importance of having parents that impact the future generation of missions and. And for those, not, not everyone in this church and not everyone is called to do long-term, full-time career missions in areas like the, the four that we just heard. But how about this? As parents, and I have four kids, can we pray and consider that maybe one of our kids could go to the mission field? Maybe one. I mean... All uh, careers are valuable. Uh, my son, my oldest son is a junior at uh, what they call him, a, I think is a cow, at West Point. Uh, I just talked with him two days ago on the phone. Of course, he's going through some struggles with a current, uh, uh, some tragedies at West Point, but he's being promoted at West Point. He's, he's doing really well. He got one of the top fitness scores. And he said, Dad, I'm thinking of making the military my career. Now, I, I, I had a sister come up to me after the first service saying that that's a great ministry and God bless the military. But, you know, we're not a military family. I just be honest. I was thinking more of West Point of, you know, five years of free education and then um, uh, and then maybe five years of serving the country. Uh, but then, um, you know, um, get some good leadership. That's what I, I was thinking. In fact, you know, we the only got into West Point is because we made a real real crazy decision. We came back on, from the mission field. We sort of got kicked out of China. That's another story I'll share in the afternoon. But um, we were in Bedford and Gordon Conwell offered a job there. And I, I was thinking, you know, where do we move? Um, well, my wife was helping out with the place of promise in Lowell. And so the decision was to take a step of faith and saying, get, get letting our kids who are Jeremy entering high school, going into the inner city. So we moved to Lowell, and make a long story short. But I see now, now my daughter, 
We were now in the States for about five years, serving at the seminary and living in Lowell. My daughter, her sophomore year, comes to me and says, Dad, I know you preach about missions all the time. He said, Dad, you always preach missions. Can you preach on something else? You know, how about dating? You know, preach on dating. You know, or, uh, I said, Dad, um, you always preach about missions, but why are we still here? Why can't we go back? I mean, this is a sophomore in high school, right? You know, I was like, oh, so, so it got me thinking. Yeah, maybe we should go back. And so within five, six months, um, uh, Jeremy was a, so, uh, a, a, a junior in high school, Mika a sophomore, we, um, um, we moved back to Taiwan. But I, 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 I share these stories, you know, we want our kids to, you know, my, my third son is, it wants to be a, do, a medicine, and wants to go to medicine, a doctor or, or nurse, or uh, that's fine, what, but sometimes I'm thinking, you know, what, what about medical doctor in the mission field? You know? <laughs> and then my fourth kid is an adopted kid from eight year, we adopted eight year old kid, a special needs kid from China. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, there's also special needs kids on the mission field too as well. You know? So, so I, I have to be honest, um, I have a bias. Uh, I, I think they're all professions, you know, whether you're in computers or whether you're in medicine or whether you're in the military or whether you're in special needs, all are mission fields. But wouldn't it be great if one of our kids or one of your kids would be a full-time missionary? Well, moving to the next passage, I spent too much time on this, but verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh, and he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. And by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Now, when I read that, I was like, wait a minute, you know, he left Egypt because I think he was running away. I mean, I just, be honest, when I'm reading that, because I went back in the Exodus, I said, it looked like that's not quite right. He was fearing the king's anger. But as I examine what the Hebrews, why, why would the Hebrews writer choose to talk about Moses in his early days rather than during his triumphant days? I mean, 10 plagues part in the Red Sea, that kind of faith, you know, actually is maybe not too much faith in the sense that you, that's God doing it, right? But here, there's something about Moses giving up. What I think what happened was he grew up and he saw the Israelites, his people getting mistreated all his life. People were getting beat up people getting killed, probably women getting raped. He just saw the injustices of the Hebrews. And even though he was a, a prince with the ruling class, in his soul, he decided to side with the oppressed. And maybe it might have been a rash decision to, when he had uh, killed the Egyptian there. And, and I know being on the mission field often, uh, bravery acts, and I've, I've been in situations, it's a combination of many things, it's a combination, God uses it all, you know, it's a combination of pride sometimes, it's even anger, it's, it's courageous, everything all together, but that courageous act really points to a great God. And what I think the Hebrew writers here are trying to point out is acts of faith require often giving up pleasures of this world. 
there is a cost involved. And often the cost is very costly. We will see later in the passages. Because they were looking toward not this world, but the world to come. Well, I mentioned, you know, uh, people of faith are part of a community of faith from the beginning of time through parents having the church all part of it. You know, we see uh, passing the Red Sea uh, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. You know, it wasn't Moses that, that is highlighted here. It's actually the people, the Israelites passing through the Red Sea also get commended here. And then we go down to verse 30. By the faith, the walls of Jericho fell. And so it's the faith of the Israelites here. But interestingly, I asked the question, why is Joshua not mentioned in this verse? I mean, we all grew up with the song Joshua, you know, in Jericho, um, you know. Uh, but instead of singing about Joshua, you know, bringing the walls to come tumbling down, um, it's by the faith of the prostitute Rahab is mentioned. What? I mean, that's not what we sung about. We didn't sing, you know, Rahab the prostitute in Jericho. You know, we didn't sing that in Sunday school. We don't know, and as I examine why, no doubt you see throughout Hebrews 11, you have people of faith in the community that God has used to chosen to highlight. But the Hebrew writer, I believe, chose this verse to remind us that even someone who is completely out of this community of faith, Someone who is at the lowest of low status, a woman in that time, a prostitute in that time, was the lowest of low, could still be doing acts of faith. Now, this is to remind us, because, you know, I'm a missionary kid, and you think, well, of course you're a missionary, because you're a missionary kid. You just kind of follow, you know, there's not much faith in that. You just kind of follow your parents' footsteps. Well... There's some truth to that. Um, uh, of course, it takes faith for, for those who've been on the mission field. In fact, actually, we saw things. And in and, uh, and, and most cases, you know, most missionary kids don't become missionaries. I just have to be honest with you. That's what the, the fact. But my wife, she was the first Christian in her family. She led her parents to the Lord. She grew up in New York City uh, as an immigrant. Coming, Her parents came from Korea and in the 1980s and so on. You know, that was the Pat Benatar years, you know, when hair was up to here, you know. She told me, uh, she didn't comb her hair, tease her hair to this high, um, makeup, black makeup like this, you know. Um, she was a punk rocker, goth, you know, kind of, I, I looked at pictures her, of her during those days in your junior high, high school days, and I was like, whoa, my goodness, that's, uh, she's like, uh, that's, I mean, I shouldn't use this word, but, you know, my wife and I tried it. That's like going to the pits of hell, you know, I mean, uh, and, and loving it. That's, a, <clears throat> okay, I know I shouldn't have said that. But God somehow grasped her heart. Her junior year in college, you know, it took me my college year, and, uh, my college years, but for her, and her heart completely changed around. She gave her life to God and gave her life to missions to China. And it was a complete transformation. All of God. She's the one, you know, like I said, she's the Korean American from Queens, New York. You know, she, she would take the subway an hour and a half every day to school, you know, kind of dodging bullets, you know, on the way to school kind of thing. You know, 
Not afraid of anything. She, she wants to die in China. She wants to be martyred in China. She wants to be buried in China. I still want to live, you know. I, uh... <laughs> we arrived into Beijing 2003. You know, we had two babies, uh, actually two and three by that time. This is after a year and a half of language studies in Kunming. And then within a few months of arrival in Beijing, we hear this disease coming from the south called SARS, killing hundreds of people, contagious. In Beijing, you know, a couple, 20 million people, it was, uh, you know, all of a sudden a ghost town. It was really like the walking dead. You would walk outside and there was no one. And if you did see someone far away, it was like masked and, and, and you would never want to get close to anyone because you could catch the disease and die and then become a zombie. I mean, it, no, it wasn't zombies back then, but it was that kind of mindset, you know, it was like, so, you know, I, I'm a man of faith. You know, I gave my life to you know, the Lord. I want to serve the Lord. But I want to serve the Lord through 30, 40 years on the mission field and then be martyred. Then, be, you know, then can, you know my, my picture can be on somewhere. I don't know. But <laughs> Jackie, uh, um, you know, so here's the difference between our faith. She's like, <clears throat> I said, you know, uh, I'm the husband. If, you know, we're going we're gonna, to, our kids are young. If something happens to them or you, we're, you know, it's, it's on my shoulders. So we're, I called and uh, our, our OMF supervisor had also asked us to leave. Uh, I said, you know what, we're going to come back to Boston and to mobilize others to go. <laughs> uh, uh, all planning to do that approval, actually, uh, it was a direct command from our leadership. Jackie said, Dave, you just might want to pray because maybe God's calling us to stay. Now, remember just two, three months on the mission field. I mean, of course, this is after language. Just started service. What would you do? I said, no, nah, no, nah, you know, my decision. Not, not, you have to understand, Jackie, you know, we, she graduated from Gordon-Conwell, MDiv, same with me. You know, she came out egalitarian, I came out complementarian, and we kind of worked it out, you know. Um, but um, she's like, Dave, uh, you have the final say on this one, but just pray about it. So I, I um, prayed about it, and I called this woman minister the next morning. And I could tell, I had asked before, you know, we're thinking about going back. Said, oh, yeah, just go back. But she... Um, the next day when I said, you know, we're thinking of staying. What do you think? Her voice confirmed Jackie's um, suggestion. You'll be willing to stay? Actually, we did stay and, 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 and we were able to see God really because, you know, what happens during difficult times is people's hearts are soft. And we were able to plant a church in the heart of uh, the uh, Tsinghua University. The, it was kind of like the MIT and then Peking University, Harvard of China. Uh, and, and we were able to see a church just exploding growth within a year from four people to a hundred in a small a home. Um, and so, thank goodness, uh, listen to someone like Jackie. Well, this is now following to my third, fourth point here, which is going to be from verses 32 on to 40, and it's going to be the primary point of what my message is going to be, because there are times, just like SARS, and you were to ask every missionary, we have stories when God delivers. We actually survived, and 
the ministry grew, and as a result, you know, the Chinese were saying, we were watching you. You know, if you actually had left, we would say goodbye to you, you know. Um, so the Lord, I think the Lord was just really primarily testing me at the time. But we all have wonderful stories of how God has delivered. And, and we see that in Scripture from 32 on. That's throughout the Bible, and it's throughout the missionary life, and it's throughout your life. I'm sure you can say Gideon, of course, remember, with, he had 300 people versus tens of thousands of Midianites. You have Barak with uh, the prophet Deborah against the Canaanites. You have Samson, of course, against the Philistines. And, and then Jephthah with, um, uh, against the Ammonites. So you have all these people who have conquered kingdoms actually at a great risk. They had an oppressor at the time. They, uh, the Lord raised up a leader, a prophet, a king, and conquered and administered the justice and gained what was promised in their lifetime. Shut mouths of lions, we know that was Daniel. Quenched the fury of the flames, we know that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can see examples that God delivered to show them at the time of his power. That is great faith. But I want to come to the last part of the scriptures that I think points to even a greater type of faith. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said this. We all talk about, wow, they were saved from the failing uh, uh, fury of flames. But it's that statement in, in verse 18 of Daniel 3 that I think is the most powerful. When they say, God is able to deliver. But even if... He's not, if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver, we will not worship the idols. And that's when we come now to people of faith who do not see God deliver or answer their prayers, but yet they trust in God. Those refuse to be released, tortured. They might gain an even better resurrection. Some face jeering, flogging, chains, and imprisonment, death by stoning, sawed into two, and killed by the sword. My best friend actually is still in Beijing. He's a pastor of a church. He just stepped down. But he's been under house arrest since 2011. Um, and it's actually, in some sense, it's because he and I worked together to bring about 250 leaders all across China to the Cape Town World Congress, uh, Lausanne Congress in 2010. So I, one of my responsibilities uh, was to bring together all these Chinese church leaders to this conference. And that's also why I couldn't return back into China. But that was a small cost for us. Of course, I lost my, my love, my home, my career in China, I, if I had a choice to be, I would be back in Beijing, but I can't go back. But that's a very small cost compared to my friend who now is serving eight years. But whenever I call him, I call him every week or, or every other week or so, it's so interesting. He always comforts me when we call. You know, I, I, I'm calling to try to comfort him, but I realize I comfort him. I comfort him by him comforting me. He encourages me by having the joy while having three security guards right outside his door. With the, they, they sleep outside his, uh, 
his, his, his door so he can't leave his home. God hasn't delivered. Um, I still pray for him every single time. Actually, I drink a root beer whenever I can because he loves root beer. Um, so if you ever remember, if you ever drink root beer, just remember to pray for this uh, pastor. He actually came and visited the Park Street Church um, in 2006. And so and I took him around and, and gave him some root beer. He loved it. So ever since then, uh, uh, he's the root beer pastor. So pray, pray for him. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. 1940s. Some Christians from China and Shandong caught a vision to bring the gospel to Jerusalem. This was a time of World War II, a time of turmoil in China. They laid everything down and started heading almost like beggars from city to city. And they saw God answering their prayers from one city to another. They would have no water, lie down on the, on the fields with no water, thirsty, and wake up in the morning and there would be a pool of water right next to them. It was like God would lead them each step of the way. They dealt with bandits. They dealt with wild animals. In the end, they landed in Xinjiang. But in 1949, the communist government came and took over China and started to arrest the pastors. And they arrested the leaders of these, the Back to Jerusalem movement uh, at that time. Seven of them were martyred, died in prison. And you might say, well, this was a complete failure. They had this vision to go. They died not even leaving China. In fact, they, uh, someone tried to interview them and say, you know, we want to hear your story. He says, I don't want to be interviewed because it was a story of failure. But the Chinese church now has over about 1,500 missionaries, and most of them are in the Middle East, and most of them have some connection to the inspiration of these back to Jerusalem missionaries who laid down their lives. Because there was a guy named Samuel, who, a Simon, uh, who came out after 33 years in prison, shared that story with the next generation. They caught that passion, saying, if people are willing to lay down their sides, even if they couldn't do it, that inspired the next generation to go. Now, the vision of these pastors, there's seven, eight pastors I've been working with. They, they're really the, some of the top pastors in China. It would be equivalent to if you take North America, you get Tim Keller, maybe you get Rick Warren, you just talk, maybe the top eight pastors that you can think of, whether you put Andy Stanley in there, you might even put a few people that you don't like, um, um, you know, MacArthur, or um, maybe you might not like Piper, I like him, but you know, you can put eight of the top pastors in there. Let's put uh, some, um, maybe you even put a Joel Osteen in there, okay? Let's say you add eight pastors in there, and let's say they say, let's get together with a vision to send out 20,000 missionaries from North America in the next 15 years. That's what these guys are doing. And it's interesting. It's during the time of the most persecuted church of the last 40 years since the Cultural Revolution. The Cultural Revolution, which was the, the greatest persecution, caused the church to grow the fastest from 100 million to close, so 1 million to 100 million. Now, the persecution that's coming on the Chinese church is causing this mission movement to rise up. It's not the churches with the big parking lots and the big you know, child care programs and the good youth group programs. And the, it's, 
It's the church that's being attacked that's actually got the vision. The pastors are getting the vision to go. So sometimes it's the persecuted church that has the best stories to share with us and encourage us. It's the ones who have gone through suffering and in some sense have not been relieved of it that have the greater testimony yet. And sorry, I, I'm, I'm going overboard here, but uh, I, I could share it all day. You can hear more of my stories this afternoon. But God is doing something amazing in China. And let us just pray here. Lord, we just thank you as we see how you have been working throughout history, throughout the time of um, the Old Testament with Moses and with Rahab and with um, so many prophets and those who have trusted you during um, very difficult times and you have delivered. But more importantly, those who have been able to lay down their lives to suffer and yet point to a great God because they know that this life is beyond what they can see. They're looking to an eternal war in the future.